1: Take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis
0: Weekly with Joel, Kim, and Chris on today's Australian Open Round 2 catch up. Rabakana out in a tiebreak epic to Blinkova.
1: Medvedev through after a 3 a.m. finish.
0: And Ondreva announces herself against Onjavor.
1: Kim, today is the 18th of January and we are here to catch up on round 2 of the Australian Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. I mean, what a day 5 we have just had. It was non-stop. It was never ending. And uh I actually thought uh, at one point that Melbourne time zone was actually London time zone because it was just on throughout our whole day.
0: Yeah, it's still very good for European uh, TV audiences at the moment, the Australian Open. I-, I had it on to accompany my day at my, you know, day job. And um, I thought, oh, I'll have it on for like the morning. And then obviously the tennis will end. And but no, it kept on going. I had Daniel <laughs> Medvedev on the telly till four o'clock in the afternoon here. So it very much um, has become yet again uh, an all night their kind of sport which is I mean we'll get onto a bit later but there's a lot of long matches today which obviously delayed proceedings and so there's a lot to talk about because we had quite a few um, upsets and and thrillers so um, plenty to get our teeth into but we do have to of course touch upon um some very sad news that came out of the australian open yesterday uh, many of our listeners will have already heard especially if they're based in the uk and you've seen this on online on on social media and um yeah unfortunately we did get the sad news that the daily mail tennis correspondent mike dixon has uh unexpectedly passed away whilst out in melbourne for the australian open um came all, all of a sudden just the news uh was announced yesterday um so we don't really have any details but you know our thoughts just with his family at this awful time and um just really really sad you know he came on the the podcast didn't he joel previously we've met we've met him in the press room he's he was a lovely bloke and yeah he'll be very much missed uh in the, in the world of tennis Absolutely. He,
1: you know, was at all the events that we were at. He was very approachable and very accessible. Um, he, you know, he was he was very open to coming onto the podcast and he treated the podcast and us very respectfully and um yeah, our our, our thoughts and our prayers go out to, to his family at, at his time. And what I would say is just I think a testament to you know his prowess I think in, in the sport and his reputation was just the, the outpouring of tributes from you know not just his work colleagues but the whole tennis community really you know fans as well but also players and um, you know to see that from British tennis players as well as you know top players from all over the world I think it was really kind of touching just as proof of what a force he was in the tennis world.
0: Yeah and see a lot of um, tributes from like the British tennis players and, and you know other players on online and social media but also igor schvontek in her press conference uh she she acknowledged you know at the start um sent her condolences to to the room so that was a you know very very thoughtful of her um and yeah we'll be getting on to her her on court tennis today as well but yeah extremely sad news um to uh, to to hear um but you know we 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 do have tennis to discuss Joel um and see that's what Mike spent his his career doing um so we we will get on to the the tennis of today um because well if we don't start now uh, we might be here all night like <laughs> Daniel Medvedev
1: we've we've got a lot of tennis uh, on day 5 to cover because it certainly is up there i think with one of the most memorable like days of a week one grand slam In in quite a while, I would say, given, say, the upsets we had, the near upsets we had, the history that was made, and uh, I say the near history that was made. I honestly thought that Medvedev and Rusevori were going to break the all-time record uh, for late finish. So I was almost like a little bit disappointed, I think, in that bagel um, in the fifth set because they were on for it.
0: Yeah, I mean I thought that when Medvedev went two sets down, he you know, he had blisters on his foot. I thought, Oh, surely he's not gonna come back from yeah. this. If he does, we're gonna be here all <laughs> night and that lo and behold, that's what happened. But for me, the the highlight of the day was the blink of a Rabakina match. Um not only was it an upset, The match with or the Blinkover, tie break? Well, probably just the tie break to be fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the whole th- I mean even without the tiebreak it would have been an upset it would have been a talking point Blinkova knocking out you know Rabakina, who seemed in amazing form when she won that Brisbane title a couple of weeks ago um hasn't seemed so great since then um but yeah Anna Blinkova 644676 4, the tiebreak was 22 20 uh, the longest ever women's tiebreak in Grand Slam history um the longest tie I think the longest 10 point you know tiebreak we've We've ever had, or since this new, um, you know, match tiebreak was introduced, um, it's, it was just went on and on and on.
1: Are we putting it up there with Borg, McEnroe, uh, the Rafa, Federer tiebreak in that fourth <laughs> set at Wimbledon? Is it up there in those levels? Is that is that the the realms we're uh, we're putting it in?
0: I think if it was in a final, it's going to get more remembered than it probably will do. But because it was the second (laughs) round, it's going to be just kind of in in obscure tennis history. But, I mean, they both had so many match points. Uh, Rebecca had six. Blinkifer finally won the match on her 10th match point. Um, I mean, I thought once she'd lost a few match points and it went to a tiebreak, I thought, oh, Blinkifer's going to be so disheartened that she couldn't get the job done. But, you know, to credit her, she kept on fighting. She kept on just playing with a lot of, you know, Um, courage like like she said um, at the end because yeah she said she was just shaking you know trying to get the job done and it it was just you know it was real theater it was real drama um, it was exactly what you kind of wanted from a you know third set you know going to the death tie break and I mean yeah 30 minute tussle there was between the two of them and just yeah ridiculous but very enjoyable if you're I don't know neutral watching that
1: yeah certainly the the tiebreak was a tiebreak you had to you had to earn it both players were not just giving up or letting kind of those match points get get into their head because they were hitting winners they were forcing errors it was just relentless at times and i was very impressed with the the level that that blinkova brought to the court because you know she's she's you know she's a decent player but you know that match against Rabakina was that was levels above anything I was kind of really expecting. I don't think, you know, Rebecca played a bad match, but I think Blinkova just came out. I think she felt very relaxed. Um, You know, I've been reading about the fact that, you know, before she would almost kind of put too much pressure on her. She sort of saw herself as a perfectionist. And the fact that, you know, her mindset changed this season is become less of being a perfectionist and being more relaxed and, you know, almost kind of embracing a more, um, you know, casual you know, laissez-faire attitude and, um, you know, it's paying dividends. As I said, I think she plays with less pressure. And as a result, she's able to kind of reach places in a tennis game that I don't think she was able to reach before.
0: Yeah, I mean, they actually played only once before. I think it was um, when they were juniors and Blinkov actually got the win then in a in a three-set match. But, you know, Blinkov coming into this, she hadn't won a match this year. I think she's had, um, you know, I definitely know she's she's, you know, appeared on on our radar before she has won a, a WTA title, but a player that, yeah, on her day, clearly a bit of a danger woman and, you know, Rebecca in a, not at her best, but Blink of a, obviously having the the biggest win of, of her career, I think, you know, this is something she said after that she'll remember for the for the rest of her life, um, as one of her, you know, best moments. And I mean just you know with the the crowd going wild and in making history with this um this tie break especially it's just you know what a fantastic day for her to to finally get the job done I mean it was going to be tough for whoever you know lost that match after putting in so much um
1: definitely and uh you know I think Rab- Rabakina will be disappointed because as I say I, th- I think in that match she was just quite inconsistent you know particularly on the forehand side there were times where she was hitting some incredible forehands but then at the same time she was hitting some really ugly forehands as well mm. and i think that at the key moments that really really cost her and um you know i say blink of a, although i think she was nervous and was shaking and and that was probably one of the reasons it took so many match points for her to get it done um i think it's incredible it's incredible to have such a, a strong mental game that you almost play your better tennis from from match point down the match point up
0: yeah exactly when when you know you're on the the absolute limit and uh you know i mean rebecca did did so well to save so many match points because i think she had saved about five before she even you know had her own so she did well to hang in there um until you know to take it as long as it did but yeah a really fantastic watch and um you know we quite we almost joel had another top seed out though uh what well, we did today we've had jesse pagula out um in straight sets to clara burrell so not uh you know not in an epic fashion at all just very regulation 6462 uh clara burrell i think she's in new territory at a slam she's not um she's not ever been in the third round now she this is she's never beaten a top 10 opponent so this is definitely not an upset anyone would really have no. necessarily predicted or the scoreline no. Pagula's normally so consistent at Slams but um you know she's reached the quarters here the last couple of years but yeah just not not at the races today. Um she did withdraw from Adelaide last week with with illness so there seems to be maybe something going on. Not really sure but I think that that probably you know certainly didn't help her and, and obviously Burrell played played pr- very well to to get the job done.
1: Yeah, I mean, Burrell has pedigree from her junior days, but it, it has felt kind of a little bit that, that transition period from the juniors to the the senior tour has taken her a little bit of time. And maybe, you know, this Australian Open is her is her moment where you know, she can realise her potential and and actually have the confidence that, yes, I was a very good junior and actually I can be a very good player on the senior tour as well. I do think Jessie Pagula, I think there were things going on there. I don't necessarily think she was 100% because it just feels like such an out of the blue result. Um, You know, not even that close um, when it comes to the scoreline that I do think there are probably mitigating circumstances there, but you have to give the credit to, to Burrell who, you know, she came on the court she did her job and now she's into the, the third round of a grandson for the first time.
0: Yeah. So absolutely, you know, brilliant stuff for her. And, you know, this is actually quite an interesting section of the draw that, that she's um, that she's in. She's opened up. Um, she plays Ocean Dodan next. And then we've also got in this quarter, because Rebecca is out, we've got, um, obviously, Blinkova playing Paulini in the third round. Um, Sloane Stephens also in that section. Chris will be happy with that. She's, she's gradually coming her you know making her way through she beat kazakina today so a bit of an upset there
1: she's had no form at the australian open over the last few years and uh yeah there's it's it's there's opportunity here for for someone to to go through to quarter final semi-final and uh yeah it's just completely opened up hasn't it in this side of the draw the only thing i'm a bit sad about is the fact that emma radicani wasn't there
0: yeah, Emma Raducanu. Uh, we'll get on to her now, shall we? Because she did lose to um, Yafan Wong uh, in three sets. It was pretty tough. I think Emma was not feeling her best. She said that she was being sick, um, essentially, um, but she wasn't going to give up. She she said uh, she wasn't going to quit, uh, and she you she, she she fought valiantly but lost in the third set to uh, Wong, who you know was was playing pretty good tennis, I thought, and um, unfortunately katie Porter also losing to chin wen Zheng. so we don't have an all british third round we've got an all chinese third round (laughs) instead
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i mean the radicani performance it was you know it was good but it also i think showed you know that she has been away from the tour and that lack of match practice that lack of match conditioning i think it really did catch up to her in the in the third set where you know she was calling the trainer I think at the start of of that final set you know having to take a tablet I almost think she was going to do a little bit of a Jack Draper uh, Kim and and throw up on the tennis court because she did not look in a good way but um, I was impressed with the fact that she you know she didn't retire she saw it out and what was incredible was that even though I felt like her body was 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 kind of failing her or she wasn't feeling physically fit the tennis was still really really good and she really really did push uh wong to uh to you know really rise rise above the the threat and the challenge you know the the crowd as well were all on on emma's side so um it was a very good tussle and i think radicani's body maybe arguably let her down in that third set but maybe not in the way that we thought it wasn't like an injury but more in a sort of just ran out of gas situation
0: Yeah, but that will come with time. You know, she'll build up her um, resilience a bit more. And, you know, maybe there was kind of an illness element going on today as well. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, no more Brits left in the women's singles. And we do uh, only have the one Brit in the men's singles now because Cam Norrie is still in. He came back from two sets down to Wednesday, but Draper did lose to Tommy Paul. Um, So, yeah, collector set. Another one has bitten the dust.
1: What's going on there? It was 6-4, 6-1. Like ten days ago, I think, uh, mm-hmm. or, or a scoreline, something like that. Anyway, um, and now, yeah, losing in in four sets. I mean, yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough old slog for for Draper, who, um, you know, we we saw that physical ailments he went through in his his last match, and um, uh, yeah, I still think it took a lot out of him playing, um, you know, playing the week before, and uh, you know, with the the conditions, the way they are in this Australian Open. I can't honestly think of how punishing they are—the heat, the, how slow the court is, the the tennis balls as well. I think it's really taken it out of of players. And if you had play, if you are playing that that week before and going deep, I certainly think that's been something that counts against you the the longer you've go in the tournament.
0: Yeah, and he has played a lot of tennis lately. Um, I saw Yuri Lehechka also losing, so both mm. of the finalists from last week out um but you know that's that will come with time as well with dra- uh, with jack like managing his his schedule and the conditions it comes a bit with with experience um but yeah one one brick remaining let's have a look though at the other um potentially upset of the day it didn't ha- actually quite happen but it was on the cards or looking like it at one point that was Igor Svontek against Danielle Collins which we had earmarked as you know a bit of a um, a popcorn match potentially depending on what Danielle Collins uh, turned up you know she's a former finalist here she beat Svontek en route to making that final a couple of years ago and she was actually 4-1 up in the third set Two games from victory against Shviontech, uh before Schwiebertek won the last five games on the trot to come back. Joel, what did you make of of this? Did you think Eager was, uh, you know, going out the tournament when you saw she was four one down? It
1: certainly looked on the cards, and you know, with the the upsets that we've seen um, in the tournament so far, I wouldn't you know put it put it past you know Danielle Collins coming through. I mean, she's had great. Um, history um, and memories at, at this tournament. But, um, you know, Sion Tech at the moment, the streak that she is on, you know, she hasn't lost since September. She's She wasn't going to give that up very easily. And um, I think, you know, with with Shion Tech, you just can never count her out regardless of the situation that she finds herself in because of, you know, the, the stuff she does mentally, you know, having a psychologist in her team. She's just so strong and unflappable regardless of the situation that you put her in and uh that was all to be seen i think in that in that third set where you know danielle collins was you know she was what she was two games away from um you know taking out the top seed and really opening up that that top quarter but yeah iga sviontek very very impressive and uh i think it's a bit of a warning sign to the rest of the competition that it shows that you know with sviontek regardless of what situation she is in, she can dig herself out.
0: Yeah, it's been very impressive that she's had two very tough opponents so far and her draw is only going to stay that way. You know, she's got Linda Noskova next, who's very mm. young and in form. After that, you know, it would be Vitalina, So she's got, you know, the toughest draw. But actually the advantage of that is you've got to be very tuned in and she will be she'll know that she's got difficult matches ahead um so actually that can almost be a benefit in in the sense you don't go in sort of underestimating anyone um but yeah she's now on an 18 match win streak um and I think the fact that she was able to to come back you know she didn't let Collins get in her head uh you know she could quite well easily have thought well oh, I lost to Collins on the same court you know two years ago but she uh she was able to to get the job done in a very methodical manner um to come back and uh defeat Collins after three hours
1: I mean Danielle Collins Kim has said that this is going to be her last season on the tour were you surprised when that that announcement came out or were you sort of like that makes sense what were the emotions going through when you you had that news break
0: yeah I think yes and no it doesn't surprise me I think she's been on the tour a while and you know sometimes players just reach that point where they want to do other things in their life and evolve away as, as Serena once said but I think she's also a player that I could see maybe coming back to the sport after a few years as as they you know sometimes do but I think that's you know that's great if that's an option and further down the line she does then you know she's got the choice I suppose and I think if she's listening to what she wants to do then we've you know, fully support that. Um but she will be missed because she's a player that, you know, is always a good one to watch, uh, especially with her kind of attitude on court and her fighting spirit. She's always a great one to uh to have in the game, I think. Um another player who does, you know, fight quite well on the court as well, Yelena Ostapenko. She's also uh Still in she beat um Alia I- Tomljanovic 3 sets today so she set up a third round with Victoria Azarenka former champion who also came through in 3 sets against Clara Torson. So yeah just a lot of like long sort of tussling matches today. <laughs> lots of ups and downs. We've we've just had lots of matches that
1: have gone to final set I think on the on the women's side and on the, and on the men's side because you know we had as you said, we had some battling wins for Ostapenko and Azarenka, but we also had a battling win for Daniel Medvedev, who had to come back from two sets down, right on the brink uh, against Emil Roussevori and win in five at o: three forty local time. Um, I mean, I always think it's asking for trouble when you put the, you know, the best of five men's match on last on the night schedule. You always. You're always sort of tempting fate, but... um... Daniel Medvedev was given an almighty scare wasn't he?
0: Well I think you're tempting fate even if you put like the you know best of 3 like women's match on last because if the men's match previously goes to 5 then mm. you've got the women's match starting at a ridiculously late time. So there's no winners from however way they schedule it if if things go long they just need to schedule things earlier or have like a curfew like Wimbledon does or you know because Me- 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 Medvedev and Russevoi stepped on court at 11:15 in the evening. So even if it was three straight sets it would be unlikely they would you know have finished before like half past one um which is just you know i know players get used to playing late especially at the australian open but it's it's just you know it does get a bit silly now doesn't it um we see this so often and this one almost went the distance like the uh the hewitt baghdadis match from many moons ago which was i think the latest finish still
1: what's especially silly i think with this time round is the fact that you know, they did a Sunday start and they did that with the reason to help combat the scheduling, but we've not really seen any any, any fruits of that. And, you know, we put a vote up on our, our Twitter profile. Does the Australian Open have a scheduling problem? 80% of people said yes. Where do you stand on it? Do you think it's a scheduling issue? Do you think there are other things at play? What's your, what's your view?
0: Uh, Well, I think that Sunday start, I mean, it will have helped maybe for the... First round schedule, but it has no impact for the schedule from the second round onwards um and I think really it's probably just because they wanted to maximize ticket sales and give people an, an extra day a non working day you know to enjoy the tennis um but yeah i think I think they just need to start the night session earlier. you know they've got two sessions in two matches in the day session, and if they're over quite quickly, then there's there's a bit of a gap It's like a wasted time of, on the court that could be used. Um, and I know they've got to get the crowds in and out because it's two separate ticketed sessions. But I think they maybe start the all the sessions earlier. Start the day session earlier. Start the evening session earlier. But you know they have to think about TV audiences. You know who's who's paying that the big bucks to have the schedule that they want. You know they are they are beholden to to that, which I do understand. And you know Wimbledon have a curfew, of course, for because of the local I think you know residential restrictions could could that be introduced perhaps something like that but then obviously that wouldn't go down very well with European TV audiences so that you can't please everyone someone something's got to give um unfortunately and today was I guess a bit of an exception that it went so late because you did have that the match between Rabakina and Blinkova before which went almost three hours and then that match had already been slightly delayed because of the Sviontek and the Carlos Alcaraz match which both went more than three hours as well so I think um you know, it's not always going to be like this every day, is it?
1: I mean, I would add to that. I, you know, as much as I do think there is a scheduling issue there, I don't think it's the sole reason we're seeing such late finishes. Mm. Because I, I banged on the drum about this in, in the round one pod, but the conditions, uh, you know, the, how slow the courts are being, and you know, I think the balls as well, and the and the atmosphere. I just think it's leading to these extended rallies, longer matches. And there's a part of me that wonders if, you know, the tournament organizers and, and Craig Tiley, they think, oh, extended rallies, that equals entertainment for for crowds, and that's that's job done. But when reality that actually means matches go on longer, the, the schedule goes into the you know the, the dark of the night and you know we have these situations where, you know, the top players are playing in front of, you know, twenty people on on Rod Laver Arena and, you know, you've got ball kids as well and, and all the officials still working at a time when they really shouldn't be.
0: Yeah. And I don't know where the kind of employment law comes into that, especially with when children are involved mm. in, in, in that role as whether they're volunteers, you know, I suppose they are volunteers. But, yeah, I think they've got to have some kind of safeguarding in place or, you know, just be very, very mindful of, of that impact on the on the, you know like you say all all the people that are involved in a tennis match not just the the players or all the fans um yeah why why are matches going so late you know back in the day they wouldn't have been going so long so that schedule might have worked better but you need to adapt for the the climate and the times that we're in as well um i mean one player that won't be featuring uh, any more or even have the possibility of a night match as Holger Runa. He lost in four sets today to Arthur Cazzo, French wildcard, mm. who many listeners He was playing may- a
1: challenger. He was playing a challenger last week. in. Fr- sorry, playing a challenger in France last week. So um, an unbelievable story. Um, I think I watched him uh, in the grass court season... Uh, last summer i think he played serbiton i I want to say he played andy murray but i could i could be wrong um but um yeah quite interesting story actually because he's got one of the french reciprocal wild cards from tennis australia and (laughs) i think there's a general sort of resentment around these reciprocal wild cards and whether they should really still exist because you know they're just given out and and i think the perception is like they're just given out to players who don't you just don't perform that well and to give you an idea of that uh, you know i was reading on, on social media only one uh, french reciprocal wildcard has ever got to i think the fourth round nicholas Escudé, um arthur Caso has a has a chance to join him um, but it just shows you know how this situation doesn't happen that often
0: yeah, it is quite rare. Um, very rare indeed. And this was Arthur Caso's first win over a top ten player, I think. Sorry,
1: is... S- since the third round is what I meant to say, not fourth round.
0: Yeah, I just think, you know, this is kind of Caso's arrival really, isn't it, onto the the scene. I know you saw him on the grass last year, but
1: um but as I say, another junior player who um you know had a relatively decent, I think, junior career and is now, you know, finding his feet um, you know, on the on the on the on the senior circuit and yeah he had a, he's had a very good victory against holger runa i think he played some exceptional exceptional tennis and i think runa maybe was a little bit hampered by injury i saw him bring on the the trainer for a knee injury um so i don't know if his movement was a little bit restricted but um yeah Kazo making making the most of of the the opportunities given to him rightly or wrongly depending on on how you look at it
0: yeah i mean for sure and um you know uh, holger runa What's going on with, with him though, Joel? You know, he, second round, you know, he's in the top 10 these days. He's a big name in the in the game. <sighs> I don't know. I just, he doesn't give me confidence in, in slams at the moment. I still, I know I think you had him going to maybe the quarters, but where, what do you think he needs to do to stop losing to French wildcards going forwards?
1: I think he needs to, I mean, he, he needs to find more consistency, I think, and it's not just the big games against the the big players. He needs to be able to perform in the early rounds as well. And I think we're seeing a f- too few many of these results where he's losing to these lower ranked opposition. And I don't know whether there's a little bit of kind of complacency there, or, you know, he just thinks he can walk on court and he can come through with a a three set victory. But um, yeah, I, th- I think I think he needs to make sure that he kind of approaches grand sam's like you know one match at a time and um you know not maybe to get too too ahead of yourself because you know in in the in the press uh, after his previous match i think he said he was immune to the netflix curse (laughs) um
0: yeah maybe not which which has
1: bitten him well it's just bitten him on the bum really so um I, i think it's it's more just kind of handling the moment and not looking too far ahead and um I think that would, I think, help him, and I think, I think he's got the setup in place. You know, he's got Boris Becker now in his team with, you know, all that experience he can bring to the table. So it should be there, but it's just not. I guess it's just not finding. It's just not revealing itself. I feel at the moment in his in his game on court.
0: Mm, yeah, and I mean looking at other top seeds, we could have had some other ones going out today. Casper Rude and Sasha Zverev, They both came through in final set tie breaks. Um, Zverev against Lucas Klein and Rude against Max Purcell, the Australian favourite. I mean, yeah, lots of last set tie breaks today, specifically. And yeah. uh, I mean, Casper Rude plays Cameron Norrie next. So I'm quite intrigued to see how Norrie can fare against him.
1: I mean, they'll be be thankful i think that they both had f- five set matches and i i wonder if that does favor nori where you do think if they're both a 100 percent fresh um and they're playing their best tennis you'd probably say R- rude is the favorite but the fact is because they've both had such you know quite quite long matches and um you know time already on the court it might be uh a situation that nori oh yes he has come through a five-set victory himself but it might be an opportunity for him to exploit
0: yeah let's well let's hope so for, from the british perspective uh, Grigor dimitrov though still going very well uh you know given his recent run of form taking the brisbane title he he came through in four sets four sets against Kokkinakis, who obviously on these courts normally you know has all the crowd and it does has done you know quite well in the past so um Dimitrov is still going through. Um, and just talking about, you know, the Australians, Aussie crowds, there's something new that's been introduced this year, Joel, on court six, specifically at Melbourne Park. Uh, it's becoming known as the party court because there's a corner of the stand uh, that has a bar in it. And it's like people are able to sit there, have drinks, there's some music playing. What is going on with that? This is a new innovation Um very much with fan experience in mind but how is that impacting the players on this court
1: well well John Millman said it's a a sign of the times Um, you know seeing this sort of setup on the court I think I think it's quite interesting and it is in it is innovative it's not traditional certainly uh, at a grand slam I get the feeling that a lot of players hate it because it adds commotion it's a distraction and it's something they just don't want to deal with when they're on the tennis court but um I do think it's sort of maybe here to stay, you know, th- people want to be able to have a good time, relax in their own environment whilst watching the tennis. It's not just kind of like go to the bar at the back, have a drink, then step onto the court. People want to do both at the same time. And I think if you allow that, you can't tell them to to be quiet or or whatever it is. You just got to have to deal with their na- natural movements and um you know it's interesting to hear, you know, Craig Tidy says this is a situation that he could see potentially be rolled out you know as a blueprint on on other courts I feel like we're still in that kind of test phase but yeah it's certainly I think something that is attractive to the tournament organizers but maybe to the players a lot less so
0: yeah, I personally, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, I'm not sh- so sure I like Are that they idea. Servi-
1: but, but Kim, if they're serving Hugo's at the bar, does that change your opinion?
0: <laughs> well, I know if it was woo-woo's, then you'd be right on Absolutely. court six. Um, <laughs> oh, I think we sat on court six, Joel, back in like 2018. Because when I saw the photo of where it is, I was like, oh, I know that court. And I'm sure we sat there in Collie's. Watching I'm sure we did. I'm sure play. we did. I think it might be Fernando Vidasco or someone <laughs> along those lines. Was sides. it not but...
1: Salvatore Caruso versus Ballet <laughs> Yuziri? Because I feel like we would need a bar for that, let's be honest. Oh,
0: I hope Yuziri is not listening to this. Uh, I'm sure he isn't. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, I know Australian Open this year, you guys mentioned in the first podcast uh, from your round one catch up about... Fans being let in, you know, all and sundry, not waiting for change of ends. I'm quite a trad- traditionalist, so I, I i felt like, oh, also a bit ambivalent about that, but yeah. you know.
1: They're, they're not afraid to innovate, are they? And, you know, no, some people no. are going to like it, some people are going to hate it. I think some stuff is going to stick, but I think some stuff is also going to get let go. um So we'll just have to see, I guess, what what comes back next
0: year you don't know until you try i think i like all that sort of stuff in the uts uh but i you know it's how much of that do you want to like merge together but um let's take a very quick break now but do join us in the second half where we'll be taking a look back on all of the action from day four at melbourne park and we'll also be looking ahead to day six as well as um i'll be revealing my collector set player picks so do not go anywhere Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast. And now we're going to move on to looking back at day four, which was Wednesday at uh, the Australian Open. I think biggest result of the day was probably Mira Ondreva uh, pretty much trouncing on Jabor, a 6-love, six 6-2. Six uh, we know that Mira Ondreva is a young, rising talent, but I don't think anyone really expected this to be quite the scoreline that it was. Um, on Jabor just just looked inferior in kind of all counts didn't she didn't she Joel? I would
1: say it was unexpectedly expected Amir Andreev has been on you know the radar of ourselves uh, you know over the last year or so you know she's such a talented teenager and um, it just felt like Ons Yubour was there for the taking a little, a little bit when you know this matchup came up for uh, for round two and you know you look at some of the you know the statistics coming out of it I mean Yabor hit 24 unforced errors nearly double Andreeva's total of 13. And, um, you know, Andreeva was just, you know, very imperious on serve as well. She won 85% of her first serve points, only faced one break point in the match. I mean, you just got to look at that first set in terms of how dominant, you know, she can be on a tennis court. And to think that she's 16, that is a very frightening prospect, I think, particularly if you're like a top seed coming up against Andreeva after this result, You've you, you've almost been given a an eye opening into what she is capable of.
0: Yeah, I mean, we know that she's a real one to watch, but I think I was just so impressed with how how she played. And you know, she's she said that she, you know she she finds ons of big inspiration to her. And sometimes when players come up against people that they, you know, are kind of in awe of, they can um, like choke a bit. But obviously it was yeah. far from that. Absolutely far from that. She just went out there um you know played her, her best tennis and you know Jabor wasn't at the uh, the races I, I don't think but I, I like you said in theory it's not an upset that she that she lost to andreva it's just i think for me it's just the, the manner the manner of it um so well done andreva uh, she's through to fight another day and another top seed uh who this time did make it through but um had a bit of a struggle was also novak Djokovic. uh Number one seed, looking for an 11th he title. He keeps struggling. Another struggle, this time against Popperin. Um It was four sets in the end. And um, he also had a bit of an altercation with a fan <laughs> during the match. So Djokovic getting a bit riled. And obviously having the crowd against him with Popperin being an Aussie. So, yeah, not really sure what to make of Djokovic. Is this just sort of a few early hiccups and he'll come through and peak when he needs to? Or is this going to be a sign of maybe... Someone gonna be able to get the better of him in a couple of rounds' time.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lexi Popperin played a very, very good tennis match. Novak Djokovic wasn't really, you know, on form, and it did really hang. I think in that in that third set tiebreak, and uh, you know, Djokovic was able to come through. But again, it wasn't it wasn't calm waters. It was quite um, you know difficult watching him um, at times, and he almost needed that fan interaction to get him riled up to to kind of energize him and you know show popper in and show the crowd actually you know who's boss on the tennis court because it did get quite heated you know he said come down and tell it to my face like really you know aggressive language but um you know he felt like it was warranted given you know the heckling and the hoo-ha that was going on which I guess is understandable you know he's coming up against a you know a home player here and I just think you always know that the more you anger you anger the beast you anger the wolf of Novak Djokovic he's going to come out firing
0: yeah and I think you know having saved those but set how many points... times have we how many times have we said that I mean have, do
1: the crowd not learn
0: well I know <laughs> yeah I think um you know heckling just it doesn't work it's gonna it's just gonna make Djokovic you know rise to the occasion more and you know when he came through that third set save save those set points I think it was kind of inevitable that he would get the job done. Um, it's just whether, you know, I know he in his first round, like he said, he wasn't feeling his best um, under the weather, that sort of thing. It's just whether, you know, that that's going to last and if he's going to just find his, his groove. And I, I think he will get there. He's won this title too many times for me to think that this is too much to to be worried about um to be to be honest
1: kim i also got to say i do have a confession to make and i was watching this match with nick kyrgios on commentary and i quite liked uh the insight and analysis kyrgios was bringing uh to the mic i thought he was very very level-headed uh, surprisingly but fascinating observations and uh i i didn't think i was going to like it but it's one of those things where the more i kept listening and the more i was like Why is this guy hated so much?
0: You were agreeing with everything he said. No, I also was listening to Kyrgios commentate on Novak's first round. And yeah, I thought he was good. Like, I I didn't know it was him at first. I thought, oh, this player sounds familiar. Well, you know, this commentator sounds familiar. (laughs) It sounds like Nick Kyrgios, but I didn't realise he was commentating. And then I saw him in the booth after and I was like, oh, it was Kyrgios. So um, yeah, I I, I agree with you, though. I I, I love it when, um, you know, ex-slash-current-players like that of recently, you know, on the tour commentate cuz I think they just give that extra level of in like fresh insight from what it is to be on the tour these I, days. I so. just
1: hope, I I'm like I hope he hasn't got the bug and is like sacks off tennis now and is like I'm going to do commentary. Um but i certainly see it as a, a thing that he could do, you know, when the time comes that he does retire. Um I'd I'd like to hear more of him. I don't know. I don't know how our listeners feel about that. I feel like some people put the 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 tv channel on mute but um yeah i'd i'd quite happily listen to him uh talk about um yeah talk about all the grand slams game he's at wimbledon not gonna... what, he's the going game at wimbledon that's what that's what i want to see
0: i think so i mean he's a big selling point still even even in commentary and well, i hope I he's at
1: wimbledon for other reasons to be honest but yes
0: He's not going to misbehave on commentary, is he? So I think it's hopefully a safer bet for, for TV stations. <laughs> um, let's have a look at the other big storylines, though, from day four. One of which was Maria Zachary, uh losing uh, in the second round to Alina avana six four six four 6-4, 6-4, straight sets. Sakari uh, does not fare well at Grand Slam. She has had terrible results in slams since she made the u.s open semi-final in 2021 hasn't been to the quarterfinals or beyond has only reached the fourth round once most of the rest of the results are like round one round two and yet she was seeded in the top 10 at all of those events what is it that maria zachary and a grand slam is just they're just not compatible joel
1: oh, it's gotta it's gotta be a mental thing um i think she puts too much maybe too much pressure on herself and expectation you know, the fact that she is a top 10 seed, whether it gets into her head, um, because she's, she's under-delivering and, you know, it's not like her, her body is let, letting her down. You know, she's she's always in great physical shape. I can't say as well, like, she's coming up against, in those early rounds, players who, you know, are going in as favourite. I mean, she has to say, she's like a, a top 10 seed. So I think it's, it's certainly a, a mental thing and... um I don't think it's I think it's similar things on the tour as well. Um I think you know, particularly when she comes against lower ranked players there's just something there that she she feels like oh my god I've got to beat I'm you know I'm expected to beat this player and it it inhibits her from playing and um we've seen it time and time again uh you know at a grand slam and it's frustrating because you know we've seen how good she is you know in that run to the US Open semifinals uh, back in 2021. She can put it together, but there just seems to be this massive blocker at the moment with lower ranked players in, in the early rounds.
0: Yeah, and another player I think that has a bit of a blocker at times is Caroline Garcia, who also lost in the second round oh. to Magdalena Freck. It's so frustrating. you know, She beat Osaka round one, yet just lost in straight sets in um, you know the second round to someone that you know, on paper, she should come through fairly okay if she'd beaten Osaka in the first round. But as we know, tennis doesn't always work that way. Um, I mean, you put me on
1: the spot around on on Maria Zachary. I'm going to throw it back at you around Caroline Garcia. Mm. How can she go from playing lights out tennis against Naomi Osaka to losing to, you know, a decent player in in you know Magdalena Frech? But a player that she's expected to, to beat and to beat comfortably.
0: Well, I think, I know Garcia still gets very nervous at times, like, you know, those sort of um, topsy-turvy matches, tie breaks. Sometimes she just does not bring her best tennis when she needs to. Yet when she does, she can really like hone it in and perform. Like we saw bits of it against Osaka. We saw when she's won the, the WTA finals. Uh, it's just frustrating that she she's just not consistent with it. Um, But, you know, fair credit to Freck because Freck says that she has done a lot of work in the off-season to become more aggressive, which we did see on the court. And I think, you know, she's probably a a different player to where we might have seen her before. Um, You know, she came through against Doria Saville in the first round and Saville's actually been in good form of late as well. And I think that will have, you know, empowered her, her to kind of keep on going. So, but, you know, this is a big lost opportunity for Garcia because the third round opponent was... Is, is Anastasia Zakharova. So that, you know, good prospects to make it into the second week and Garcia will be u- upset that she hasn't been able to make the most of that opportunity. But it's an opportunity that perhaps Freck can now, um, you know, make the most of and we'll see her perhaps go go deeper.
1: Yeah, and another player, I would say, who is in that category of very disappointing loss, Francis Tiafoe, uh lost to Thomas Machak um, in straight sets, uh yeah it's something not quite right with tfo i think at the moment certainly over the last two months i don't think he's been performing like as he should and uh kim you'll like this thomas machak he lost in adelaide first round qualifying 6-1 6-1 to alex bolt who was an alternate in the draw he's now into the australian open main draw round three that's an incredible turnaround
0: that just goes to show you couldn't you can study like pre-tournament <laughs> results. It goes all out you the like. Yes. But there's just sometimes <laughs> it can be the complete opposite to what actually happens. Uh but fair play to Thomas Maschak, you know, he's gone gone deep uh for the first well I say gone deep, but you know, round three that that is going deep for, for players who've never been there before. Um maybe he's the, the Czech player that was gonna go yeah, not into Lhechka. the second week, not Lehechka. I, I meant Macha of course. <laughs> <laughs> um Seb Corder also threw anisimova badossa um you know mm. they're names that we haven't seen an awful lot of lately because of injury and yeah, timeout Anis- so anisimova well.
1: and badossa i have been very impressed with given say the injury troubles they've had the time off court that they've had i think there've been other comebacks that have been talked about more like naomi osaka and, and emma raducanu but mm. we've got to got to remember there are other players who uh you know making uh, you know making the road back from from, from recovery and Anna Samova and, and Badossa are still in there and they're playing some pretty good ball I'd say
0: and they play each other uh, tomorrow so that could be a cracker of a match they're on the John Kane arena um, followed by Fritz and Marashan. Mm, I'm thinking could Marishan go even further with, a, with another upset there. Um, but we've also got in action tomorrow. Let's have a look at the schedules. Rod Laver, we've got Sabalenka-Serenko. Uh, Van Ash against Tsitsipas. And then the night session is Djokovic-Echeverry, followed by Storm Hunter and Krichikova. Um And then Margaret Court, we've got Sinner against Baez. Alicia Parks, who beat Leila Fernandez, actually, the other day, against Coco Goff, uh, with a night session of Hadadmaya-Timah Fever and Korda Rublev. Oh, do you think Korda is going to upset Rublev there? Ooh,
1: that's I mean that for me is the 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 pick I would say. And uh, mm. again, Tempting Fate having the uh, I mean not what, what whatever matches in that final slot is Tempting Fate, but Korda Rublev last on um yeah, you know, yes please I think for for European viewers because uh I think that could be a very quality match and uh Rublev, he he always starts the season very very well i've seen um his win loss record over the last you know, handful of seasons has been very very good at the start and uh yeah Corder, we know he's got good pedigree got runs in the family um it's going to be a tough test
0: yeah and uh i'm curious to see what djokovic is going to bring tomorrow uh against etcheverry etcheverry's been in in good form I think coming through against obviously Andy Murray and, and Gail Monfils so I'm I'm curious because I feel like it's very slightly underestimated as an opponent I think Djokovic will need to play solidly better um to uh you know want to get that one done quickly I'm sure he won't want to be embroiled in a in a longer match again but um yeah lots to be excited about um tomorrow Matt Norino, also against Ben Shelton I think the winner of that plays Djokovic so I Shelton Djokovic looking further ahead might be quite exciting um, if they both get there. Um and then yeah, before we finish, we've got a couple of bits, Joel. Um you've uh, said to me that I need to announce my collector set predictions <laughs> on air.
1: Yes. Well me me and Chris did the honours for ours uh, in in the round one episode. And so we feel like you you need to to do it as well. So it was Dimitrov, Draper, Alex DeManor, Osaka, Radikani and svitolina what were your player pick predictions
0: so i had round four for dimitrov which is still on course for that uh round two for draper which i have got correct because he lost today uh quarterfinals for alex de Manor, so that's still on course uh, I had round three for Naomi Osaka, so that's gone. I've got that yeah. one wrong.
1: We 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 were sort of gloating about that in our yes, in I the heard. First
0: episode. <laughs> <laughs> I you've, did you tune pulled in. It
1: back though, you you pulled it back because as you see, you got the Draper point, and also
0: well, I had Raducanu round one, but that's that's wrong as well. Um, and Svitolina round four. So I've got I've got three that are still on to be potentially correct. So. Um we will see but yeah one 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 right so far but um yeah thanks to all our listeners for um sending in all your you know predictions for collector set we do have actually three players who are on three correct already uh so special mention to lynn pin selena haddad and david well done because you're leading the way so far so let's just see if you can maintain your lead um as we go into the the latter stages of the Australian Open. Tasty,
1: tasty. And uh, before we do finish, Kim, uh, one thing uh, that's been breaking news um, over the last few days that we actually purposely held back on talking about um, in our round one episode, and it's to do with Rafael Nadal. Now, I don't know if you saw, but he has been announced as a Saudi Tennis Association ambassador. What were your views when this news broke? Because this... This, to me, feels very murky waters.
0: Yeah, I wasn't particularly enamored when I heard the news. Uh, he has been accused, uh, sad to say, of kind of participating in, I guess, what you'd call Saudi Arabia's sports washing. You know, they're spending a large sum of money on getting, you know, top global sports to locate in Saudi Arabia, you know, the football and, and having all the you know, other tennis events there like the next gen finals and we think that the wta finals at the end of this year may may well be there now kind of having rafa as like an ambassador for the tennis federation i think obviously it's great for the saudis that it's a big name um but how, how much have they paid to to get rafa there i just i just hope that maybe maybe with that fee rafa will obviously invest that into his academy so there will be you know good to to come of that and it will be put to you know good productive uh, uses and I think you know I'm sure Rafa will have signed up with the best of intentions you know to help generate tennis in an area that doesn't really have a big history of, of the sport you know they're obviously trying to to get involved get a lot of Saudi players you know we don't have any any of those you know big on the tour that we kind of follow or aware of so I can see that they've got this long-term vision but and they're obviously using sport as a, as a way of kind of developing. um aspects that are not currently that developed but it's yeah from a sort of other side of it it's you know what are they deflecting attention from so you've got the human rights issues to to consider as well um you know is it rebranding is it you know a diversion tactic it's, Is Rafa untouchable it's yeah
1: it's it's hard it's hard but, on uh, another note, yes. though,
0: Rafa <laughs> did host Roger Federer at his academy this week. I saw on Instagram oh, well, they had you photos of them together. So uh, obviously, yeah, Federer uh, visiting Rafa for a, maybe a bit of a Mallorcan son. Who knows?
1: Well, that is very, very lovely. And what else is very, very lovely is that we have actually hit our crowdfund target of £2,000. We hit it, I think, over the last few days. Um, so we just want to say a big thank you to everyone who has supported our crowdfund and reached into their pockets um we are genuinely over the moon with with reaching our, our targets beyond our wildest dreams i did not think we were going to get even close to reaching our target so the fact that you know we have reached it and i think we've gone beyond now it's yeah it's incredible and that money is going to help us push the podcast on uh in 2024
0: Yes, we have exceeded our target which is um yeah brilliant news and thank you so much to everyone who has donated it's really incredibly generous of you and yeah that's fantastic to kind of start off the new season with with that to help us. And there's also still time to vote for us in the sports podcast awards so the link to do that is just in the description so if you do have a spare minute um not even that then then do click on that too to help us out that way
1: as kim said make sure to vote for us in the sports podcast Awards. we do want to go one better than last year voting is open for another i think another 10 days now so um yeah the link is in the description very very simple very easy um so make sure you do that but uh for now Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the Australian Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
0: You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube. And our handle is at Tennis You can also purchase exclusive Tennis Weekly merchandise on our Etsy shop, etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Podcast. So do check that out as we've got some fun bits on there. And email the show if you'd like to get in touch as well, tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk.
1: And we will be back on Saturday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our round three A.O. catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.